Welcome to the web broadcast of New Life Foursquare Church in Milledgeville, Georgia. Thanks for joining us today. We encourage you to download the sermon notes from our website and follow along as Dr. Terry Stair brings you the uncompromising Word of God. Here's Dr. Terry Stair with today's message. I tried to talk to you last week about uh, the one thing that was important. And this week I want to talk about a little bit different but still connected to what we were talking about last week. Um, If you'll turn with me to Jeremiah, the 15th chapter and the 16th verse. Jeremiah, 15th chapter and the 16th verse. Father, we, uh, we ask you to bless your word. And we ask that your word would come alive in us. Otherwise, Lord, it's just words on paper. We do not need the logos, the words on paper, Lord, but we need the rhema, the word that is alive. We pray, Lord Jesus, you release your rhema into us in Jesus' name. It says, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. One day a young man came to a pastor and and he said to the pastor, he said, Pastor, he said, I'm not getting fed here anymore, so I'm looking for another church. And the pastor looked at him and said, Well, I just want you to think about something for a minute. What would happen if you came to your mother and you told your mother who had uh, provided uh, good meals, three or four good meals a day, and made sure that there was enough food in the house for you. And you told your mother, Mother, I'm just not going to eat here anymore because I'm not getting fed. He said, your mother would look at you and said, the only reason you're not getting fed is because you don't come to the table and you don't put any food in your mouth. You wanting me to feed you like I did when you were a baby. And because I don't feed you like a baby anymore and I expect you to sit at the table and feed yourself... That's why you're not getting fed. There's no scripture that tells us that the church is supposed to feed us. There's no scripture that tells us that we're supposed to go to church to get our spiritual nourishment. Even though we've come to believe that that is part of our religious life. It's part of our worship and practice. But in reality, all the scriptures point to the fact that we're supposed to be men and women who feed ourselves, who grow up and mature. In fact, the only people that we know of that are still being fed by anyone else are either those that are infants and unable to feed themselves or those that are sick and elderly that can't feed themselves. But those that are in between are supposed to take care of feeding themselves. And so if we do not grow and we do not mature, it isn't anybody else's fault but our own. One of the saddest things that I had to realize, and of course it didn't happen to me until I was about 30 years old when I finally came to realize this, but at about 30 I realized and woke up to the fact that I was not that important. 
You know, for, for some people, they think that they're the cog that holds the whole world together. Now, I'm not meaning that God doesn't love us, and I'm not meaning that we're not unique and special. I'm not talking about that. <clears throat> but I'm meaning this, that if you, if you stop and think about your life, and the things that you do, and the things that, um, that you actually function in throughout your day, all week long, 80% of that, anybody in the whole world can do. You're not that special. Anybody can do that. And there's 15% of what you do that it might be unique and it might be special, but other people could be trained to do it. You could actually teach them how to do it. So that means that in reality, there's only 5% of what you do in life that is unique to you. That only you can do. Only 5%. That no one else can do for you. Some of those things are these. Only you can be the husband or wife to the person that you're married to. Nobody else can do that. And nobody else can be trained to do that. So that's one of the 5% things. Only you can parent your children. Nobody else can parent them. Only you can be involved primarily in the growth of your spiritual life. Do you know that people have gone to church all of their lives and never grown at all? Because they were expecting somebody else to feed them. They were expecting somebody else to help them to grow. And so when it all boils down to it, right at the very bottom, the spiritual growth that you will receive is determined by you. You decide. As Brother Larry and I were speaking uh, this morning before church, whether or not a person opens their heart and allows those things to change them, it's up to them. All the Billy Grahams in the world can't open a heart. It's up to you to open the heart. It's up to you to seek that change. Another thing that is determined by only you is that only you can determine how healthy you will be. Other people can wish you were healthy. healthy. Other people can hope you were healthy. Other people can give you ideas about how to be healthy. But if you don't want to be healthy, you won't be. You'll eat whatever you want to eat. You'll exercise if you don't want to. I mean, you won't exercise if you, if, if, if you don't want to. Nobody can force you to do these things. If you know and if people have taught you and people have shared with you that it's important for you to do certain things, but you don't want to do them, nobody can make you do them. That 5% is up to you. How disciplined are you going to be? Why is it that the most important thing in our life, which is our faith in God, we're the least disciplined? Why is that? Because it's left up to us. When we sat here last Sunday and talked in the night's meeting, we talked about uh, some of the issues of, of knighthood and somebody made that statement. And they said, well, you know... <coughs> Uh, I don't I don't feel like there's enough being done to help me. 
And I took that into consideration. I heard what was said, but I said to that individual, I said, do you realize that in reality, it all boils down to your dedication, not to anyone else's? Do you know if we were actually in, which I know we're not, but, but just to give you an example, if we were actually in a situation where we had to be in combat, where we had to physically fight someone else, can you imagine somebody standing there with a sword and shield, fighting against their enemy and said, and, and then they cry out and say, you know, the reason I'm losing is because nobody else is helping. When you're in the middle of the battle fighting, and you've got your sword and you've got your shield, there ain't nobody else that can hold that sword for you. There ain't nobody else that can hold that shield for you. If you do not do the fighting yourself and you lose, it's your fault. Can't blame nobody else. Nobody's helping me. And yet, the most important thing in our life, which is our faith in God and our spiritual lives, which comfort us and encourage us through all kinds of difficulties in life and we let that be the thing that we pay the least attention to. It's no wonder that we're not strong. It's no wonder we're not victorious. It's no wonder we're not able to win. Now, the thing that we do need, and this is what the person was talking about, is we need coaching. We use the word discipleship today, but... Uh, I mean, that's a biblical word, but really in, uh, in, in the, the year 2008, the word that has kind of become accepted and, and, and uh, uh, thrown around a lot is coaching or mentoring. Another word is mentoring. We need that. Because truly, when you go into battle, you do need to have been trained. You do need to have had a master show you how to handle the sword. You need a master to show you how to hold the shield. So you do need that. And that comes from the mentoring and the coaching. Do you know that every single professional in America that is really of any good uh, uh, ability has some mentor involved in their life? Some coach that they go to and receive encouragement and insight and critique? Magic Johnson and uh, uh, Jordan used to sit down with their old college coaches on a weekly basis and say, well, tell me how I did in the game Sunday. You know, these are the people that are making millions of dollars, have all these contracts, and they're the best at what they do. And they still sit down and need a coach? Sure, that's why they are the best. Because they take coaching. Now here's something that maybe some of us struggle with is that instead of us looking at it as mentoring or coaching, we look at it as uh, correction. And so we're, we're not correctable. We don't like people correcting us. <clears throat> we maybe should change our perspective and not see it as correction, but see it as coaching. See it as mentoring. See it as somebody is trying to help us do a better job help us to be more disciplined, help us to be more conscientious, help us to be more faithful at what we're doing so that we can be much more of a blessing and so that we can grow more. And I think we all need that. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't need some coaching now and then. There's nobody that needs some encouragement now and then. Nobody that doesn't need some critique now and then. And maybe in some cases more than others. 
that we need it. Truth needs a guide. You know, you would say, well, I already have truth. Why do I need a guide? Because, you know, truth, when it comes to us, sometimes it comes to us in a form that we cannot disseminate. You know, <clears throat> did you know that sodium can be destructive to the human body? It is destructive to the human body. However, <clears throat> if it is converted into a higher form, which is sodium chloride, we can use that for our benefit. And that's just salt. And the same is true about the things of God. When we are taught uh, knowledge over and over and over again, people just get knowledge, 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 where our heads are filled with it. Yesterday, we were in Terry's store, and this guy just about drove me crazy. I know he was driving Joel crazy, and probably Lee, but Lee's got the most patience of all of us, so you know Lee was able to handle it pretty well. But this guy was filled with nothing but knowledge. And it was baloney. How many's ever heard of a bunch of knowledge that was nothing but baloney? It's not connected. Doesn't make sense. Can't use it for nothing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what we sometimes call his words are just coming out and hitting the floor as soon as they come out of his mouth. Just junk. I mean, he knows a lot of stuff, but what good is it? It can't be used for anything. The, the higher form of knowledge is wisdom. And that's what we need. We, we don't just need knowledge. We need wisdom. Wisdom is something we can actually use. What helps us to convert the knowledge into wisdom is the Holy Spirit. Just this past week on uh, one of the TV shows, I don't watch it, but I saw a clip on C, uh, uh, CBN where they were talking about it. But one of the clips uh, uh, on one of the shows where the four girls sit together, I can't remember the name of the show, but they, they sit together and they you know they talk about everything, but they were talking specifically about saints. And one of the ladies said, the reason we don't have saints anymore is because we medicate people so they don't hear no voices. <laughs> Now that sounds funny and we're laughing. <clears throat> but it is kind of hard to talk to the Holy Spirit when people think if you do it, you're crazy. You know, you go into, a, go, go into work tomorrow and just tell them, you know what, the Lord told me something and see how they look at you. Just walk in there and tell them, you know, as I was driving here, God was speaking to me and they're going to go, huh? you, you said, who was what? So I recognize that, you know, th there's not a great environment for people that are open to hearing the Lord. But listen, if we do not have the Lord guiding us, I think we're in bad shape. If the Lord doesn't speak to us, we're in bad shape. Do you realize, just looking back over 2007, and I don't want to make you feel bad or anything, but you, you, you probably should take account of this. How many decisions did you make without asking God? You just did them. Now, when they don't turn out wrong, you can't blame God for that, can you? When, they, when it doesn't, you know, it doesn't come out the way you thought it would, you can't go back and say, "Well, Lord, why didn't you fix this for me?" He's probably going to say, "Well, you didn't ask me." 
You didn't consult me. So we do need a guide. This might be a good time to tell you about the two pains there are in life. How many, how many knows what the two pains are in life? Hmm? I read this the other night and it really, really was a blessing to me. There are two pains in life. One is dif- discipline and the other one's regret. Discipline and regret. The one pays on the front end and the other pays on the back end. You know, pay me now or pay me later. Everybody in this room is going to get old. There's, you know, if you live long enough, that's guaranteed. You're going to be an old person. You do not want to be sitting there regretting things that you should have done and things that you didn't do and things that you wish you had done. That's a terrible pain. But that's the way some people's lives are. Their lives are nothing but regret because they were not disciplined. The way you prevent regret is you become a disciplined person. And I tell you what, if I ask... If I asked you right here this morning how many of you know you're not disciplined, I know everybody's hands would go up. So there's a lot of room for us to change our discipline. Where does it begin? It begins by becoming disciplined about spiritual matters. If you cannot handle spiritual matters and be disciplined to do that, then all the other things are just not that serious. That's what I told you last week is that there's one thing. One thing that is important. And that is to spend time with God. I hope that all this week, you know, you set aside a time and at least for 30 minutes to an hour. Debbie's got a book, you know. Debbie, Debbie she can spend two hours with the Lord and it, it, it just not even a problem. But there are sometimes when she's just got to get going. She's got to go do something and she's got to uh, get on track. But she's not going to give up her time with the Lord. So she's got a little devotion that says 15 minutes. <laughs> she's at least going to get that 15 minutes in there. <clears throat> so you can learn to be disciplined if you want to. You need to think about this the same way that you think about food. How many in here would imagine? Just, just tell me. Is there anybody that would imagine that you really would think that you just go a whole week without nothing to eat? I just, I, I, I don't need nothing to eat. I just go the whole week, not, not eat anything. Uh, well, maybe that's not that serious. So, let, what about this? I'll go the whole week without any water. Hmm? Just go the whole week without no water. Hmm? Well, what about this? I'm just not going to breathe for a whole week. Let me hold my breath for a whole week. Huh? Really, is, is, is that reality? Well, then how in the world are we going to go a whole week without opening our Bibles? How are we going to go a whole week without praying? If you'll start thinking of it that way, you'll get the picture that I'm trying to present to you today. And yet that's what people do. They say they love Jesus, as, as, as Larry and I were talking today. They say Jesus is Lord of their life, but they don't talk to Him a whole week. How can He be the Lord when you don't even communicate with Him? It's not possible. That's how come uh, there's so much weakness in the church because we have tried to do it without Him. We try to do it without the guide of the Lord, without the guide of the Holy Spirit. And as I was saying earlier, that all of us need a coach. 
Somebody might say, well, you know, there's nobody that really wants to spend time with me. And there's nobody that I like spending time with, so I really don't have a coach. Hmm. You have 37. There's 37 coaches here at least. I think that's how many authors there were. Maybe more. And they're all dying to spend time with you. Sure, they'd love it. You're looking at me saying, no, they're not. They're not they don't care anything about me. Look at look at in Hebrews with me. Let's see if they care about us. Hmm? In the book of Hebrews. Chapter eleven. I'm going to read from verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and in the caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Huh. They did not receive the promise? That's what it says. They did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us. Something better for us. They did not receive the promise. God provided something better for us. Y'all getting it? That they should not be made part, perfect apart from us. Huh. Crystal, do you have it in the message? Read that last part at the very end of that. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us, that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole, their lives of faith not completed apart from ours. If you do not let them mentor you, they are incomplete. If you don't let them share with you what their lives were and what they learned, they'll be incomplete. They're made complete by being able to pour into you what they received. And they do that by you studying the Word. It says in this same scripture a little bit earlier that, he, that Abel, even though he is dead, still speaks. Every one of these people are with the Lord. They're in glory, but they're incomplete unless they can speak into your life.
unless they can share something with you from their life. And if you can't learn something from these kind of people, who can you learn from? You say, well, I don't, I don't know who any good Christians are. There's a whole book full of them. I don't know anybody that's been through what I have. Have anybody in here ever been in the lion's den? We've felt like we have, maybe. Hey, the next time you feel like the devil's chewing on you, go talk to Daniel. Ask him about it. Sit down and let Daniel share some insights with you. You know what you'll learn right away? Is the reason Daniel was able to go into the lion's den is because he was confident in the God who he had prayed to three times a day. Hmm. Right away. I get a little bit of coaching, don't I? Daniel says, you want to be able to go through the lion's den? You've got to pray three times a day. Even when the people say, don't pray. You throw the windows open, you pray anyway. You know what the kids are learning in there tonight? Or today? Daniel in the lion's den. How, why are they learning that? Because, you, look, go back to Sunday school. You're sitting in Sunday school and you hear that. Daniel in the lion's den. You go, what in the world? What does this mean to me? I don't ever go to a lion's den. Wasn't trying to teach you that. It's trying to teach you to pray. It's trying to teach you to keep communicating with God. Because someday you're going to be in a situation that's going to seem like a lion's den. And you're going to need an angel to come and shut that lion's mouth. That's what happened to Daniel. Daniel was able to go into the lion's den because he knew that when he goes in there, the God who he had just talked to a few minutes ago was going to take care of it. You don't have to worry about it. He had assurance from the Lord that, Lord, they, you, you, you heard him, Lord. They said, I can't pray. The Lord said, no, don't, don't worry about it. I'll be there with you, Daniel. Wherever you go, I go. Remember when Moses, <clears throat> Moses uh, <clears throat> had upset God and God said, you just take the people, you go. I'm not going with you. What did Moses say? He said, you don't go, I ain't going. Where do you go without God? Hmm? You need to come to that place where you say, Hey, I'm not going anywhere without God. I'm just not going. I don't go into that prison trusting those officers. Those 50 guys to save me from a thousand. <laughs> what kind of baloney is that? And all they have is radios. Sure. I'm going to put my faith in that. No way. But as long as I have faith in God, and as long as I've talked to the Lord, as long as the Lord has given me assurance, as long as He's been coaching me, I'm okay. <coughs> Excuse me. God has given us traveling companions. That's who these people are in the Scriptures. They're the companions who travel with us in life. Don't look at them as just Bible scriptures and just things that you read once in a while. Start looking at them as companions who are sitting up there in the stands of heaven and they're looking down on you. Look at verse 12. I mean, chapter 12 here. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Do you ever look at it that way? They're all looking down at you and saying, Hmm, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's happening there, down there right now? What's going on with you? 
Somebody said, well, I'd like to do more outreach. What's stopping you? I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. Well, what's stopping you? I want to bring people to the Lord. Well, what's stopping you? I want to sing for God. Well, what's stopping you? You know, that 5% that only you can do, what's stopping you? You waiting for somebody else to spoon feed you? Or are you going to grow up and be like the men in the Bible, the women in the Bible, who talked to God and asked God, what should, should I do? And when God gave them a word, they obeyed. They did it. The Scriptures is filled with men and women who travel with us right now, who speak to us right now. Every, every single time that we pick up the Scripture, they speak to us. Have you ever had a day or been doing something and the Holy Spirit would break into that situation and speak to you right there, right then, and tell you something about that situation? That is when you know you're walking with God. When the Holy Spirit, you know, you're just walking along minding your own business. But because you've talked to the Lord and because you've asked Him for help, all of a sudden He comes in and He just interferes. Not really. He's not really interfering because he's a, he's a guide. <clears throat> when He does that, that's encouraging. That's encouraging because you know you're right where the Lord wants you to be. God chose these men and women to speak to us. If you're not really sure about how to handle your business, read all of Solomon's work. I heard Terry say something yesterday, and as soon as she said it, the Holy Spirit jumped inside of me. Why? Because, see, I've already hid the word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. What does Proverbs say about business? That partnerships fail. Terry said, in joking, to Ryan, he said, I'm looking for a partner, and my spirit went, Oh, don't do that. Why? Because I hid the word in my heart. When you hide God's Word in your heart and you get ready to make a mistake, He'll scream at you, Don't do that! But if you've never hidden the Word in your heart, how can He bring something back to your memory you never studied? How can He remind you of something you don't know? You'd think He was intruding then. What are you trying to tell me what to do, God? But if you've already studied it, you want to know how to run a business? You follow, go read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Solomon will tell you about business. He'll tell you how to work business. You want to know how to uh, 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 be an educator? Nikki wants to be a teacher somewhere, someday? Study the life of Paul. He's the best educator in Scripture. That man talks about education from one side to the other. In the parasite, I think it's paracolique or parasolite. I can never say those Greek words because I'm not Greek. But he talks about the tutor, the mentor. You know, the Greeks would give their children to a mentor. <clears throat> Goes back to Odysseus. You know, when Odysseus left and went to Troy, he left his son with an old man whose name was Mentor. And so we get the word mentor from that. 
They would give their children to a mentor. The mentor would never bring their children back until the, the mentor was confident that the child had learned everything that the father wanted him to learn. When the mentor was confident, he would present the son to the father. The father then would look to see if he saw himself in his son. That mentor was to teach him to become like his dad. And if the father looked at him and he did not see himself in him, he would say, he's not my son. He's not my son. Get him out of here. I don't know who he is. And Paul said the Word was given to us to teach us to be like the Father so that one day when we are presented to Him, He will see Himself in us. Paul taught us that. You might have read the whole Bible and never even heard that before. But that's right there in the Scripture. Paul said that that's what the, that's what the law is for, is to teach us to become like our Father. The Word does that. And when we are finally presented to the Father, we see, or He sees Himself in us. And who does He really see, huh? Jesus. That's what we call being covered by the blood. Hey, if you're, if, if, if you, somebody said, well, I'm gonna just go up there and I'll just, God'll just, I've been a good person. That's the guy that came to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and as he was walking in, the man said, here, put on this garment. He said, no, that's alright, mine will do. And when the king walked in, he said, where's your garment? He said, oh, I like the one I had on. He said, tie him hand and foot and throw him out. Throw him in the lake of fire. I gave him a garment and he refused it? Out you go. I gave him my son and he refused it? Out you go. You'll never stand in front of God in your own righteousness. It's not going to happen. Now, to hurry along, because I could go on. Am I boring you yet? No, not good liars, but anyway, sir. <laughs> I'm just teasing. One, one final scripture here. It's in uh, Proverbs 24:30. It says, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface, surface was covered with nettles, and its stone walls was broken down. When I saw it, I reflected upon it, and I looked and received instruction. One man went to Bible study class, and when he came back, one of his friends said, Well, how was it? He said, It was boring. He said, It was about all these people that did all the wrong things. I didn't learn a daggum thing. He said, Why not? He said, Because you can't learn anything from all those bad things. He said, yes, you can. You can actually learn twice as much. You learn what you should do and what you shouldn't do. God filled this book with people's mistakes so that we can learn twice as much. We learn what we should do and what we shouldn't do. That scripture that I just read to you said that he learned from the sluggard. Another point, uh, or another uh, translation of that is, he learned from the lazy man. He learned from the lazy man. He received instructions from the lazy man. What did he receive? That if that man just stays in bed all the time? His walls are going to fall down? His crops ain't going to grow? 
His light bill ain't gonna get paid. They're gonna repossess his car. He's gonna be walking. That's how you can learn. That's what you can learn from a person who's lazy. That everything will fall apart as you sit there waiting for somebody to fix it for you. No, you got to get up and stop being lazy and fix it yourself. It's not in the book. But this saying has always been around in Christian circles through thousands of years. God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the book. But the thought is there. God is not going to help somebody who just sits there and says, Well, whenever God's ready to help me, He'll help me. No, He's not. He's giving you some abilities yourself. That 5%, that's your responsibility. Jack Hayford walked into the church one day and he had seen this man sitting in the church every day for a month. And he walked over to him and he said, Brother, he said, I'm encouraged that you come to church every day. And I'm assuming that you come to pray. And he said, yes, sir, I've been coming to pray. He said, well, thank God. He said, what you praying for? He said, I'm praying for a job. He said, well, thank the Lord. He said, have you had one? Have you found one? He said, no, not yet. He said, how many applications you put in? None. He said, have you talked to anybody? No. He said, well, what have you been doing? He said, I've been coming here and praying. Jack Hayford looked at him and said, Son, what do you want God to do? Drop the job out of the ceiling? It's not going to happen. You can sit here in this church till kingdom come and you're not going to get a job. You've got to go out and knock on some doors. Put some applications in somewhere. The final scripture that I want to share with you is in Proverbs 13.20. It says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of a fool will suffer harm. This book is filled with wisdom for thousands of years. And if you want to walk with the wisdom of these people, if you'll walk with the wisdom of these people, Jason has read Dave Ramsey's book. <clears throat> it's about finances. Is it or is it not true that Dave Ramsey, because of the wisdom that God's given him about finances, is able to take a scripture out of here that people maybe never even knew had anything to do with finances and bring it into a clear wisdom? Isn't it true? Why? Because he walks with the wise men. When he walks with wise men, Dave Ramsey spends time in the Word asking God to reveal to me financial insights from your Word. When you spend time with wise men, you become wise. When you spend time with fools, you suffer harm. So I challenge you today, the second Sunday in the year, to get your Bible out on Monday. <laughs> and start spending time with some wise people. Spend some time in prayer. Somebody came up to me last Monday night and said, 
you talk a lot about prayer, but uh, you know, I just pray about this and that and the other, and I, I really don't remember what I ever pray about. I said, that's not a good idea. That's not wise. You need to write down some kind of list, some kind of guideline, something that you want to pray for. He said, well, well, isn't it wrong to keep praying over and over? That's repetitious. No. I don't come to God and say, God, when are you going to do it? That's not how you do it. You just, you just come to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I, you remember that I, I've been asking you for this particular thing and I just want to bring it to you and lay it before you again. You know, one of the things that happens when you lay it before God is that you're not worried about it no more. You know? You, you've given it to the Lord. And you just, not only are you bringing it back to Him, but you're also reminding yourself that I've given that to God. I've given that to God. The second thing that can happen when you do that is that when God answers the prayer, you can write beside it, Answered! I think all of us need to have uh, some kind of way to go back and show that God has answered some of my prayers. I was going through my list the other day. And as I'm praying, you know, I was, you know, I'm a human being, so I got in a little bit of a hurry. So I'm praying through my list kind of quickly. And, uh, and I said, and here's what it said. And Lord, help Nikki to have a safe delivery with Claire Ann. And I said, that's already been answered. It's okay to do that. But you see, when you write your prayers out, and then you write that they're answered, you have something to remember that God has done. Let's pray. Father, we want to walk with wise men. We want, Lord Jesus, to make that kind of a commitment to You. I pray that You'll speak to the hearts of the men and women here, Lord, to make that commitment to You today. Father, to begin to find that place of feeding that place of spiritual discipline where they will walk with You on a daily and regular basis. Father, we're not just asking You to do something. We're asking that we will make a commitment to You to do something. To change our way of living. To come to the mentors and coaches that You have already put out there for us, Lord. That You have prepared in advance for every situation that we would go through. Help us, Lord Jesus, to make that faithful commitment right now. Thank You, Jesus.